just a reminder that we do have our Patreon, and if you could go and support us, that would be brilliant. It keeps the podcast going, pays all the bills and stuff like that, so it is really, really helpful, and we love everyone who's on there. Thank you very much. Go to patreon.com forward slash HM4AS, the four being the number four, and if you could give us a couple of quid a month, that would be brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. This is Good Time Charlie, and you're listening to How Much for a Sleeve. Hello. It's Mick and Lucy from the popular tattoo-based podcast, How Much for a Sleeve, and we'd like to give a few moments over to our new sponsor, DSM Tattoo Machines. Lucy, tell us a bit about them. Well, Mick, DSM Tattoo Machines make exceptional coils and now a new rotary. Tattoo machines, not guns. You can check them out at dsmtattoo.co.uk and don't forget you get 10% off with discount code SLEEVE10. They also make a range of needles. You can find them at lockdownneedle.co.uk. I think they're very nice. How much for the Hello and welcome to How Much for a Sleeve, a podcast about tattooing hosted by an actual Lucy. tattooist and an actual knob, Mick. How are we today? Very well. How are we? Uh, what? <laughs> I'm all right. But how, how are we today? How are we? We're good, good. I've been building furniture, which has come with several swears, some bruises, and also an absolute respect for like it's, it's ikea Danny? furniture no she can fuck off <laughs> she, she 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 was getting right on my wick anyway it become it comes with an incredible respect for ikea furniture because it is basically it'll last for ages but someone as useless as me can put it together with no words it's just pictures put this in this hole we and i can you know <laughs> And uh, yeah, it blows my mind. The engineering to make a wardrobe flat pack that can be built by me and not fall over immediately. Hats off to them, I say. Is that why Danny's, you and Danny have had a little fisticuffs, not actually, medical yeah. one. Um, Because she's like, why can you put it in that hole? <laughs> why do you always try to put it in the smallest hole? Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't like thinking about you putting it in any hole, to be honest. It's like thinking about my dad. <laughs> I mean, he's not putting it in any hole either. Nah. <laughs> Maybe a wormhole. Should we stop That's talking about that? That's because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so stop... We went from sex to your dead father awfully quickly there. Let's write let's that back in. Um, oh. You've been fucking about on, on a motorbike. Oh, I've had such a busy. I've had such a busy week. This is why, like, when we speak to each other so rarely now, that your facial hair is always completely different every time we discuss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's yeah, well different. But yeah, yeah, been on a motorbike. I've been on one tonight. Um, that was alright. And I've got, I did my bike theory on Tuesday, and I fucking smashed it. Boom. So yeah, and I was well nervous about it. Well nervous because when I did my hazard, my car theory which is like 15 years ago now 
they've just brought in another perception and it was right fucker, but they've changed it a little bit so it made it easier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was I did it. So now I can properly learn. Um Does that mean yeah, you can just you on can, a little You're on bigger huh? hogs now? Like one, two, I'm five on, things, not on a mopeds. Yeah. So I'm on a one, two, five. I've got an hour left on the one, two, five, then I go up to six fifty. And then it's just like preparing me for the test, basically. You go yeah. straight, you go up to a six fifty. That's yeah. I don't. I um. It just sounds a lot more than a one two five. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. I don't need to learn well, about engines. I, I had friends at school, so <laughs> it's a lot quicker, a lot more powerful, but also it's t- literally twice the weight. So the shifting it when around. you make a mistake. Oh, sorry. Shifting sorry? it around. Sorry? literally yeah yeah like if, like if you drop it you get trapped under it i and... have just remembered something funny i um there's a, a road in cambridge regent street in cambridge don't know if you know it i used to be a window cleaner in cambridge best job i've ever had absolute jokes all day but someone went there's like a bit where you can park your bike for free just put your mo just full of mopeds um but they didn't. They weren't attached to rails or anything. It was just one rail at the front. That you so you parked wheel to the thing, put your bike lock around there, and one some bloke just lost his bike and he was like, you know, when you see those, he was his ass was on the floor while he was still holding the bike, trying, but he, was just, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to hold it up, and he went, oh! so I was up a ladder on the other side of the road, and it was just like fifteen or twenty bikes just like, <laughs> boom, 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 all went over, fucking funny. Poor bastard. Yeah, God. Yeah. The the mistakes that you can make on a 650 are a lot more catastrophic. Catastrophic? Well, why don't why don't you just not make any mistakes? Yeah, that's what I think I'll do. Yeah. I think I'll do that. Yeah. Tonight we're doing U-turns. It's remarkably hard to manoeuvre a motorcycle when you're going five miles an hour. You've got to do a little yui. Is that do you do it with your feet? No, you do it with your hands. I'd fall off. It's, it's, <clears throat> whenever I get into my car, my God, I just think I take it for granted that I know how to ride a bike. Sorry, my phone's pinging. It's gone very popular. Let's see it now. Um, yeah, you absolutely take it for granted. Like you do stuff with your feet, you don't even think about it, you just drive mm. along. You'll get and you that forget that when you were learning to drive, you actually have to think about that. And yeah. it's the same with the bike, from right back at the beginning. You literally have so much to think about. You're like clutch, rev, looking over your shoulder, mirrors, and then biting point. I've not said the word, but words biting point for a very long time. No. But here they are in my daily vocabulary. You um you look like you're 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 making some funny faces. Do you want to tell everyone what you've done to your lips? <laughs> You know, I'm bloody glad that we didn't record this yesterday like we were supposed to. So yesterday I had my lips tattooed by a lovely girl called Carissa. She microbladed my brows and then she was doing my nails a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about tattoos she wants and I said I wanted my lips tattooed and she went, oh, she'll do a little trade. So I was like, yeah. Um, fuck my life. Did I regret that? Sure. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, mate, it hurts so much. I bet. So, we're like it's so it's lip gloss it's literally the whole of your lips tattooed and they tattoo it in a dark in like a it looks a lot darker when it's first done then it as it all peels and stabs off it comes out really light and just natural but just to give it more definition and um 
I was like, I got in there, I thought it'd probably take a couple of hours. I got in there, I said, how long do you reckon it's going to be? I'll just let Grant know. And she said, oh, but three hours. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Three hours just this. on your lips? Well, it took four hours. There were three hours on top lip. And well, I mean, she probably took about 45 minutes, an hour to sort it out and try colours and shit. So two hours on one, one hour on the other. And as she's going, she was like, she said she was using a darker pigment than she had used previously because I opted for more of a red. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, I just you know, struggling to get the pigment in a little bit. So I said, she's not been doing it that long. So I said, um, what needle are you using? And she said, oh, I'm using a 1RL, which is a single needle. It's a one-liner. And I went, fucking hell. No wonder it's fucking hurting. And she'd do a little bit, put some numbing cream on, do a little bit more, put some numbing cream on. It was like a constant cycle of that. So it took mm. a long time. I was like, fuck, a single needle hurts so much when you get tattooed. I remember Joe Black doing a, like, a single needle cob over my neck. And Jesus, I just wanted to die. So I was like, I was like lying there and I was like, oh, knowing I have to come back for a top up. I said, when I come back for my top up, I'm going to bring you a mag, um, which for Mick is like a flat shader. Multiple needles spread out in a flat formation, covers a bigger area, much less painful. Yeah. And she said, um, she said, oh, I have actually got some of those. And I was like, <laughs> thanks then. Have you? Do you want to break have my hat? <laughs> And she went, yeah, I've never really used them. And then I think as she was continuing, I was just talking to her, not in the like a, I was just chatting, but trying to encourage her to use it. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it can be really good sometimes, you know, you've just got to try different needles. Everyone's skin is different, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I'm going to try one. So she cracked out a five mag. It's still very small, but God, the difference, the pain difference was, yeah, so much easier. And then she obviously did that a lot quicker on my lower lip but when she showed me so she'd overrun by an hour she's got someone waiting outside and she showed me the kind of the made mirror and it looked I looked like Leslie Ash had been punched in the face I had all this red pigment all over my teeth that looked like blood <laughs> I had a red smeared all over my face and my lips were literally two sausages but uneven sausages like my bottom left side lip <laughs> bottom left lip <laughs> my bottom <laughs> over my mouth on the left um was yeah like protruding but i could see my lips from my eyes wow i looked down and i could see my lips did you like walk through yeah. reception and everyone just went nah fuck that i'm not getting yeah. that. i'm not going in there yeah yeah <laughs> and i'd been laying there for four hours and i was desperate for a drink and i had a can of coke and i, t- I was like fuck <laughs> am i gonna do it I took a drink. My lips were still sort of numb, so I couldn't tell that my lips were touching the can, and they weren't. So I just <laughs> pulled the cake all down my front. I was like, okay. So then, like, I planned to go and see Grant because it was we both had a day off. I had to sit in the car for a minute. I was like, oh, I do not feel good. Like, well, just mm. like out of it. Made it to Grant's and he just, I was like, I need some sugary drink and I need a straw. And he handed me mm-hmm. a kind of iron brew and a straw. And I was just like, oh, oh, it was so sore. We were going to have her out on the bike. And he was like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Put a helmet on your face, bit squished up like that. My lips were lips so Lips vibrating painful. every time he raves as well. Oh, yeah. Feel better now, though. 
Pardon? Feel normal now, though. They do feel normal, but... Just a bit dry. They're really dry, like really, really cracked, chapped, and, yeah, really tight. Mm. I reckon if I did but a that's big... what That's the face you're doing. I know no one can see it, but it's like... It's nice to put your teeth together, put your lips together. Now smile, but also try not to break wind. <laughs> it's a lovely face. Oh, my mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, don't laugh. My brother got hit in the um, hit in the lip playing cricket, and uh, every time I made him laugh, he had to hold it like that because it kept splitting. So he'd split. He had a little cut there, but every time he grinned, oh, it opened the top lip bit, so it bleed again. So I'd go, I'd do something. He'd go, <laughs> I'd be like fucking grabbing at his top lip to try and hold it shut while he was smiling. That was funny. Oh, my God. I remember I had yeah, you, know, you know when you've got like a split in your lip? Yeah, get one of them in, in winter. Middle. And you keep licking it and then that just makes it worse. Me, um, yeah. Um, I remember I was pissed. I came home. So we were probably, I think we were both at uni when it happened. So I, yeah, he, he's older than me. So I think he'd have been... 21 I'd have been 20 and I'd gone out and got pissed came home and uh it, so I just went went into his room and I could see him asleep with his big fat lip and because I was pissed it made me cry because I hate I, did, I didn't like the thought of him being in pain and I started weeping oh 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 there's something else there is the British Podcast Awards Listeners Choice Awards and some yes. of you, have, some of you have voted for us, which is wonderful. So if you go to BritishPodcastAwards.com forward slash vote, and then search for how much for a sleeve and vote for us, then it will send you an email and you can confirm that that is you and you are a human. That'll be lovely. Um, we're not going to win, but the more votes we get, the the better we we do on other other things and people will become aware of us and stuff. So if you could spare yeah. a couple of minutes, if you enjoy it, and we are your favourite. Thank you very much. Oh, that'd be so nice. And the people that have messaged and said that they voted, I was like, oh, thank you so much. So have a little drive. We went to the 4th of July. 4th yes. of July, you know, who knows? Who knows? We might win an Oscar. We might. And we also, might go to the Brits. get on your Patreons as well and support us on there if you, if you can. That'd be, that'd oh, yeah. be lovely too. You get in. We've been doing some lols. Yeah, but longer. Yeah, we've got uh, the people who are on it are going to get a print soon, and you've also got which are in the boot of my car. We you've got a couple of episodes on there. Lou Hopper interviewing Lucy, and then one uh, an episode of just me and Lucy talking, which we put out on Wednesday, the twenty third, I think. Yeah, uh, and we'll be doing. Hopefully, Lucy and I will be doing one of them. Uh, a fortnight and you get bonus tings and all that sort of crap that you usually get on patreon so it's not just supporting us you're also getting loads of loads of free stuff so it's well good Elvis is here he just jumped I was patting my leg silently going like come on jump up and he jumped up straight into my like forehead nails to forehead hello Elvis he wants to be part of it you've missed me because I've been out every single day haven't I Literally, India had like full on meltdown this week because she was like, uh, "Are you out every evening?" Yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> just been busy. Life is so busy. Life is busy. Talking of, I can't swim in the face. Yeah, well, you don't go. 
fucking knocking cats out. It's not the done thing. 2021, mate. Um, we know. Sorry, Elvis. Professor York. Oh, this is so good. He's a cool guy, isn't he? he I feel like we're... he. Everyone we speak to is cool, but... Yeah. And could, way like too cool for me to be allowed to talk to, but he's double <laughs> cool, isn't he? Yeah. Literally, like, I enjoy looking at what he wears so much. He's he got loves all these like vintage tracksuits and yeah. stuff, and he either looks he's like an individual. Um, what's his name from Corn? Jonathan Davis from Corn, yeah. or the what's the fucking? He, he looks like a Victorian barber that goes around making people into pies. What was his name? Oh, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, yeah, Sweeney, yeah, Sweeney Todd or Jonathan Davis, nothing in the middle. Well, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Some of those, some of those tracksuits are fucking fire, though, aren't they? Yeah, he was doing like swap a tracksuit for a tattoo. Yeah, but I, I was, I was like, that's pretty cool. But come on, yeah. And then I realised the tracksuit costs like twelve hundred darts or something. You're like, okay, fair yeah. enough. That is worth it. <laughs> well, then, yeah, he's on some good things. Yeah, yeah. and the, yeah, he always looks so cool. And he's got like the longest dress. It's just, um, yeah, I wish he was local and he could, I could make him my friend. Yeah, defo. Um, and all that, all the, all the collecting of stuff that he does is, is like the uh, when he goes into detail about how how he finds an old, uh, like a living re- relative of a of a tattooer, and then tries that like, tries to get in contact with them and tries to go and see what they've got, and just all of the effort that he goes through to keep that side of stuff that might just sit in a loft and then and then get just be chucked out as junk or be be removed and no one would know it ever existed and it's well smart that he's keeping that ting that's it going. and he actually totally like inspired me to ask my mother my mum does all the genealogy and stuff and she's done all our family tree and she um i was talking to her about like trying to look into tattooists historic tattooists find some that were unknown and just have to do it really and she said oh there was somebody I think we spoke about actually we spoke to Matt Lauder about this when we interviewed him but like a family member one of my family members who had tattoos in 1800s or something mm. anyway the info she gave me was really vague but she gave me all the proper info yesterday and it was so interesting so it's my grandmother's cousin he was born in 1860, 1860-something, and he was in the army. And at some point in between, like, 18, 19, 1900, he got fuckloads of tattoos. <laughs> so he was, like, the black sheep. My family were, like, well posh. And she was obviously... So my mum was, like, outraged, and my grandma was outraged and so on. But she's got it outlined exactly what he had. He had an anchor on his hand. So this, this is like Victorian era. Mm. Anchor on his hand, a lady on his forearm, a le- another lady on the back of his other forearm. He's got someone's initials that we don't know who, his own initials. He's got like a cannon like gun with flags. He's got a star. He had a heart. I've got the whole list, but it's just mad. And I wish we had a visual. I wish I knew where mm. he'd been tattooed, but just so cool. And it just feels like, he just had so many tattoos. This list is enormous for that era. It's mad. But yes, yeah, so totally inspired by Nick York and his investigating, investigative tattoo journalism. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be chronicled somewhere as part of his yeah. 
next things yeah. up to but yeah it is it is super super interesting yeah. you need to talk about the nice people at the oat milk <gasps> company yes so much happened this week so um i don't know if you i know you've heard of it other people might not have heard of it but oatly my favorite oat milk oatly barista it's what i i say that i'd say 60 percent of my bloodstream is oatly barista <laughs> but they've done a big a big horrible thing and are suing a local Cambridge farm because how dare they put a coffee cup and use blue on their branding and it's nothing like the Oatly brand is all is it the only thing I can say is it's it's called Oatly against pure Oaty but pure Oaty yeah. if they were called pure Oatly I'd get it but to be honest yeah. I fucking hate all that sort of shit anyway like there's so many companies yeah. that get massive and then like they're all supposed to be cool and nice and then like yeah. I saw that their their statement said they can't pick their battles who they they have to be true to everything. It's like fuck off, just boring. You're boring. You're boring. Yeah. If that's what you're that's doing, it. dull as fuck, suing so, people. Yeah. So I, so I found a lush alternative, which is MoMA, MoMA Foods, Barista Oat Milk. And I've bought it a few times and it was yummy. I just tended to like buy it when it was an offer. But when I did my last shop, I was like, fuck you, Oatly, I'm gonna buy this. Um, so I put a little post up on my Instagram and I just said, for anybody who knows, like anyone who doesn't want to drink oat milk, um, oatly, here's a really good alternative. It's yummy. And the lovely people at MoMA reached out to me and said, oh, in my story, that was it. I said, as far as I know, they've not sued any small farms. <laughs> so yeah, the lovely people at MoMA messaged me and said, thank you so much. No, we've not sued anybody. We're just a small company of 10 people. Um, and as a thank you, we're going to send you a couple of cases of milk. <laughs> I was like, Oh, thank you very much. You're definitely my new favourite. <laughs> Shout out MoMA oh, nice. Foods. That is good. Yeah. Just wait till really they get and start suing things off people. For... Yeah. They've got a coffee cup on their on their front, and they're blue as well, aren't they? They're blue, but they've got like a, it's like a, a sort of skyline behind the logo. It's all bollocks anyway, isn't it? Yes, yeah, fucking bollocks. It's all boring it's bollocks. people arguing amongst themselves. Yeah, it's but the oat milk, it is really good. So. Well, I'll I get on that flex people. then. Yeah, send Waitrose. Bully. I don't shop there. I'm not cool enough. Well, it's, and it's I haven't exactly got the same anymore. price as Oatly. That's good to know. Big up mama. Yeah. Moma. Mama. Don't know. Moma. Mama. Mama. M-O-M-A. MDMA milk. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, put, don't put MDMA in your coffees in the morning. Don't put MDMA. We don't encourage MDMA taking... MOMA, all about it. Get on it. <laughs> it's a Friday night. Yeah. Um, shall we? <laughs> shall we carry yeah. on? Very wise. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to How Much for a Sleeve. Break it down. Nick, why are you taking your t shirt off? Put it back on. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, why have you got so many nipples? Too many nipples, too many, many nipples. Um, this <laughs> is episode 20 of How Much for a Sleeve with Professor York. How much for a sleeve? This episode we are chatting to the awesome Professor York. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course, not a problem. And I'm super stoked to be here and just getting to talk to you guys. Oh, thank you so much. So whereabouts in the world are you? So I'm located uh, 
in Denton, Texas. For anybody who doesn't know, it's basically Dallas, Texas. Denton is like 30 minutes uh, north uh, west of Dallas. So it's basically Dallas. Oh, cool. I've been to Dallas. I've got a niece in Plano. My sister, my brother That's where I'm from. I grew up in Plano. Oh, there no we way. go. Look at that. <laughs> That's where I started tattooing was in Plano. Oh, cool. I went there. I spent like a month there when I was about 16. And um, I remember it like, I don't really remember that much about it, but Dallas was cool. And there were lots of cowboy stuff, which is cool. Yeah, Texas really lays into the its own stereotype of being like cowboys and shit. It's, it's kind of <laughs> funny. At, at a certain point, it becomes humorous. <laughs> if you, if you're not into it does it does it become a bit annoying no at least not for me because i kind of get the meme in it and you kind of can start to look at it as a joke um but i do know a lot of young kids my age as well hate the cowboy the country mm-hmm. the western vibe that texas is so much about and at this point i I kind of will lay into it a little bit, not not the way I act personally, but uh, it, it's it's just funny, and if if you can't get rid of it, you might as well just embrace it at a certain point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but Texas is without a doubt a wild west cowboy rough state, and it I think always will be, no matter how modern it's gonna get or you know whatever. Texas will always be Texas vibes, you know? <laughs> so that's that's cool. Having traveled like quite a, a bit in the States, I always think Texas is like the epitome of America. Everything is super sized, like the cars, the wheels on the cars, the the painted flags on the cars and the flags outside people's houses and the houses and the roads, like everything was just enormous. Yeah, Texas is, you're right, the embodiment of america and like if you ask any foreigners you know to name the states the number one state that i can always point out is texas like it's just like it's just so in your face mm-hmm. and and that's what i love is just that unapolog- unapologetic in your face texas vibes not many other states have that vibe yeah yeah you're right that's definitely how it comes across What's the tattoo scene like in Texas? So every city, so Texas has like four, I mean, depending on who you ask, like three or four major cities. There's Dallas, Austin, which is the capital, and then Houston. And then you can also throw in like San Antonio, depending on who you're talking to as a major city in Texas. But uh, the Austin scene is really big into traditional. There's a bunch of great traditional tattoo artists in Austin. And that's where you're going to get like a lot of the traditional vibes. Uh, Dallas personally has like a lot of black and gray realism vibes. Uh, there is a traditional scene here in Dallas, but it's definitely not as like strong as the Austin traditional scene. I would definitely say Dallas is more known for um, its realism. And then Houston, I've only been a couple times, so I'm not super familiar with the the tattooing style in Houston. But I would imagine it would also be black and gray. Uh, but I do I do know that there is a, a a decent sized traditional scene in Houston. I do know that. I imagine Houston to be like 
sort of like East LA style. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. And then like I was supposed to go to Austin last year when we went into lockdown and I was so excited to see all the traditional work there and like hopefully that will come about and we'll be able to travel out there again like we spoke to Shanghai Kate um Uh so we'd love to go and and meet her but I think like I love Texas so I'm jealous that you are there right now although you've had some pretty crazy weather I saw the news reports the other day about the like tennis ball size um hailstones ruining cars all over the place and stuff. yeah I mean I didn't get any of that but I've I've seen it. Texas is so big that you can it's literally like it takes like 16 or something hours to drive across it so <laughs> weather can be in one place of Texas and another part of Texas you don't even know about it yeah I bet <laughs> so um do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself like your tattoo life I guess uh like my style or like just just about like your journey into tattooing and what you do now yeah yeah. I mean I've done a handful of interviews so I'm sure people who have already seen all my interviews are getting tired of this story but oh I'm interested so pretend we don't know (laughs) for those who don't know uh I started tattooing really young I started tattooing when I was 15 and it was shortly after I started getting tattooed and during my early days of getting tattooed, I was 14, about wow. to turn 15. And I was getting tattooed by people out of the house. And I was getting tattooed with like prison style tattoo machines. And uh, I would ask them like, you know, how did they get into it? And they just said, oh, I just started tattooing. Like I bought a tattoo machine or made it and that was it. So that's how I thought every tattoo artist ever got into tattooing was you just started doing it on your own. So that's what I did. And then shortly after I got my tattoo kit and I had been tattooing for a little bit, that's when I found out about the concept of apprenticeships and about how that's more the the right way. And I tried to find apprenticeships and I I just was turned down left and right, you know, for one, being too young or two, because I had already started tattooing out of a house and people don't want to apprentice scratchers, whatever it is. It just, I couldn't find one. And everybody just kept saying, wait till you're 18, put it down, wait till you're 18. And I don't know if you've ever talked to a 15-year-old kid before. But telling them to wait <laughs> I've got them- one. I have a 15-year-old daughter and I dread to think what she would be capable of, of with a tattoo machine. <laughs> yeah. So telling, telling them to wait till they're 18 to do anything is the <laughs> dumbest thing anybody could do. Yeah. Uh, agreed. So obviously I didn't wait. I was like, well, if you're not, if you, nobody's going to help me, I'm just going to keep doing it on my own. I'll eventually figure it out. And then that is what happened. And I got to a point where I was decent enough that I got a job offer and I dropped out of high school at 16 to tattoo full time at a, a little shop out in East Texas. Well, not far East Texas, it's East of Dallas, but, um, but yeah, so that, that was that. And then I just bounced around shop to shop for like the first couple of years of my career. Kind of like I wasn't able to keep a hold down a job at any particular shop for very long because I was young and I was still pretty immature. And I just, you know, I was 17 and then I was 18. And then I moved to Austin and I tattooed in Austin for like a year. And when I moved to Austin, that was kind of like when I was like, okay, I need to actually 
not get serious about it because I had, I had been taking tattooing pretty serious up to that point. Like by the time I had moved to Austin, I was already a professional tattoo artist and I had been tattooing in shops professionally for like three and a half, four years at that point. Um, but I was like, you know, I need to kind of get a better hold on this. And, and um, so that's what I did. And uh, I, my uh, girlfriend at the time, she was a tattoo artist as well. And we both just moved back and we decided to kind of like settle down a little bit and not bounce from shop to shop, shop to shop. So. What sort of tattoos were you doing when you first started out? Like, and how did you even know what to do, how to set up a machine and stuff by yourself? Well, luckily I grew up, I'm a product of the internet. So <laughs> whenever I first started tattooing, um, you could, I mean, you can Google how to set up a tattoo machine. But I mean, um, when I first started tattooing, the style that I would, I initially was like, my very earliest and first tattoo drawings, which I still have, were basically neo-traditional. And um, then I started hanging out with this new school tattoo artist named Sneaker. He tattoos here in Dallas. And uh, he's from Louisiana though. But anyways, uh, he did new school, like real 90s style new school, like straight up graffiti style. And I was really big into that. I really liked all the color. And that's what I was getting on my body at the time was a bunch of like 90s style new school, um, which is really funny to think a 15 year old kid in 2011 is getting like 90s style new school, but it is what it is. So that's what I started doing. And I did new school for about the first two years of my career. And I was really influenced not only by Sneaker, but by another tattoo artist, Jeremy Miller, who tattooed in Austin at the time. And uh, I just... I wasn't particularly great at that style. It was very difficult for me to draw naturally. Like every time I sat down to do a drawing, it would take hours and hours and it just didn't come naturally. And just my mind didn't see things in the new school way. And uh, I eventually just realized like this isn't, maybe not, this might not be my style. And right around that time, I had started working with another tattoo artist named Renee. And Renee did neo-traditional. And at that point, he was the best neo-traditional tattoo artist I'd ever met. And um, I really kind of gravitated towards his style. So that's when I kind of started doing neo-traditional was through kind of, and I think I was 17 or 18 at this point, probably 18 when I started really trying to do the neo-traditional stuff. And then uh, I did that for a little while. And then I met uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, and I was more or less, cause she tattooed as well, but not as often as I did, not full-time particularly. So I was trying to get her to do it like as a full-time thing. And I was trying to show her like, you know, how to, how to do it better than she was. And part of that was like showing her how to do line work. And so I would, me and her would sit down and trace old traditional flash cause it's mostly line work based. And through that, um, I started falling in love with these traditional designs that at one point I hated. If you would have asked 16 year old Nick, his opinion on American traditional, I would have been like, that's a stupid style. It's a, <laughs> it's a hipster style that I, I literally hated the style because I thought it was hip and 
a trendy style and it wasn't gonna it was just something that kids like bring me the horizon kids were getting and I was like (laughs) this is so stupid and I didn't understand it at all and that's why when I meet people that have those same thoughts on traditional it's super it's super funny because I was totally so did you just like the style you do now is heavily influenced with turn of the century style tattooing how did you how did your style progress did you just look further back yeah I mean it was it was a pretty steady progression I mean not only just starting with like me getting into um the traditional stuff but it just started with um even from the new school to the neo-traditional to the traditional to antique traditional because when I first started doing traditional stuff um it was traditional enough to not be considered neo-traditional anymore but it was still using a bunch of bright colors and there were still elements about it that were non-traditional I guess you would say um but yeah exactly like what you said the more I kind of started understanding the style I started digging deeper into it and then this was when I was in Austin was when I really went crazy like okay I'm putting all my eggs in the traditional basket this is the style I'm really gonna invest myself in because that was the thing I was like I need to really settle down I really need to develop a style and I need to start making um attaching my name to a certain look a certain aesthetic of tattooing and uh traditional was the one that I chose and at the time, I had a, a good friend, Ivan, who lived in Austin, uh, Ivan and Tony Chev, and he's a fantastic traditional tattoo artist. But he was working at a shop called Mainstay. And Mainstay is owned by Zach Nelligan. And uh, they would, Zach Nelligan and Ivan were starting to incorporate the, the old school and the antique style into the traditional. And when I saw that, I was obsessed. And I was like, I love this. I love how your guys' stuff look. And so I started trying to emulate that. So I wouldn't, I don't know if I would do the particular style of tattooing I do now if it wasn't for the influence I had from Ivan and Zach Nelligan. And funny enough, me and Ivan are really good friends, but uh, me and Zach don't actually talk very often. And uh, I don't know if he knows that he had this, really big influence on me it's, it's funny but it is what it is isn't it funny how like little choices we make have such an effect on our modern day selves like you just happen to go to that shop one day or you just happen to meet them and now you you're just like so immersed in that antique tattooing style and it's all down yeah. to just one decision yeah Exactly. But looking back at it, it totally makes sense because I've always been a big fan of antiques. Even when I was doing new school, even when I was doing neo-traditional, I still loved old stuff and antique stuff in general. And I really don't know why it never occurred to me to take that aesthetic and try to mix it into my tattoos. Maybe because the style was opposite of that. New school, the style is opposite of antique you want it to look modern you don't want it to look old or whatever um so it was actually really easy for me to um adopt this style because it's stuff that I was already interested in and I just incorporated it into my tattoo style 
And I kind of take antique tattooing to such a far level that it's almost comical and it's almost like a, a, a character or a persona. And at first I, it would bother me when people would, would, would refer to it as that, but now I, I, I don't care. And it, it, it is, it is like a, my Professor York persona, you know, I can turn it on and off and it's, it's, it's interesting. Some people it. have a hard time with that. I think it's great. Like you are so unique in that. And like, I am also so into antiques. Like my mom is an antique, well, she's been an antique dealer. I've always been surrounded by antiques in the home and vintage. And and then I had like, I felt like I had a similar sort of moment fairly recently. Like I was looking through a load of seventies flash um, to help Lau Hardy with this book he's putting together about this um, tattoo supplier called Ultra who started in sixties, seventies. And yeah. um, I was looking through all this 70s flash and like I lo- my house is pretty much entirely 60s and 70s apart from like some Victorian stuff, the Edwardian stuff. And I was like, God, why don't I tattoo this? It, I feel like it's lit a fire in me because I'm, so, I'm like, why didn't I make that connection? <laughs> like, Why am I not taking my love for vintage into my tattooing? So I totally get that that can yeah. it makes me think like god why have I not done this already it makes so much sense but have you did you just grow up with an interest in antiques or did you have anybody who was influencing that like I had my mom I just grew up with it it literally came out of nowhere my mom and my grandma they didn't it, like I didn't grow up around antiques it just literally came out of nowhere uh I don't know what it was I, you know, like I like fire trucks and I've always liked fire trucks ever since I was a kid. And I always liked the antique fire trucks. Modern fire trucks have a totally different look than the old mm. fire trucks. And I remember as a kid, like my mom would like try to get me like fire truck shit and it would be like a modern fire truck. And I'm like, no, 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 you're, that's, you're, you might as well not even get, like you're getting totally the wrong thing. You know, like, that's like not, if that's not pulled by a horse, I can't <laughs> give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I have, I got to be honest, I really don't have any idea where the antique obsession or comfort with old stuff came from. You know, it, I was thinking about it a while back and it might have, it, it definitely started earlier in my life, but I think I had like a resurgence of interest in it right around my early teens when I started getting really into goth culture and alternative culture because my whole obsession then was like be as spooky and as goth as possible and in my opinion antique stuff is spooky or there is a certain air of creepiness about antique stuff so when you walk into my room at the shop I have it set up literally every single item in my room I meticulously curate to where when you walk into my room, it's like going back in time. And wow. I'm dressed antique and my room is antique and I don't use a lick of modern anything. Literally everything in my room is antique. And it, it, is, it is an air of creepiness about it. When walk-ins come in, they expect to see like a modern like black toolbox with a critical power supply. And, yeah. then, and then when they come in and everything's like old and it's lit by like warm candles and it just... They're like, oh, you're like taking me to like a lair, and I, it's 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 cool. <laughs> does, does that go down to your to your equipment as well? Is that 
antique. Yes, antique. I exclusively tattoo off pre 1920s tattoo equipment. Wow! Oh my god, that is amazing. Oh my god, yeah. I want to. I want to come not, to Dallas so much. Do you not use any stencils or anything, or is it? All, is it acetate? Or is use, it even before that? I use stencils, but uh, our modern day stencils are actually very similar to um, a lot of the early hectograph stencils that they right, used back. Okay. Actually, you, I've held and I own multiple hectograph stencils, and if you didn't know any better. Um, you would be able to get it confused with a modern day stencil, depending on how good a condition it is. It's even that same purple color. Mm. Um, so it's so funny. Stencils have made a big circle back to the hectograph. <laughs> so. Yeah. So they like tried using acetate for a while and they were like, this is shit. <laughs> I feel like, and um, admittedly, I have expertise in tattoo history in different areas and tattoo stencils are not the strongest expertise I have, but uh, I feel like acetates was always more of an American thing. And I've mm-hmm. never, I rarely see English acetates and I feel like maybe they didn't catch on so much over there or maybe not until later. Um, but yeah, like uh, George Burchett almost always favored uh hectograph stencils and i've seen many many stencils of his and they're just always on brown or white tracing paper and they're either always messy as hell because he would reuse them a bunch <laughs> and uh they're always very loose uh that's what i love about george Burchett's stencils if you looked at his stencils you would not think that he was producing the detailed work that he was they were very loose and very messy Wow. He just so just just had it all in his head, like just the ability to use this really loose guideline and just freehand the rest pretty much. Well, you know, I think that was his style. I think his style was um, rather loose and not and and not super uh, line dominated. I think a lot of the details in his work, uh, personally, what I see artistically was in his shading and his coloring of the details. And I don't think his designs were particularly line heavy versus uh, Armin Dietzel, for example. When you look at Armin Dietzel's stuff, his shading is actually pretty simple and his colors are nice. But you look at his work, you're like, wow, this is so detailed. And it, what, is, what is detailed is the outline. He would put a bunch of lines in the feathers, a bunch of dots, a bunch of scales. And then Bircher, I feel like, was opposite. Where if you really just stripped it down to the outline, it was actually a very simple outline. But he was using all of his details with the the patterns he would do with his shading and his color. Uh, And I'm speaking strictly in the painting sense. Both their Mm -hmm. tattoo styles did kind of weren't exact copies of their painting style, which was super common at that time. Yeah. How did you, like, how do you find... I noticed on, on your Instagram, you post a lot of historic photos and you've got a lot of knowledge and you've obviously done a lot of research. What are your favorite sort of resources and how do you source all this, all the images especially? You know, it's difficult. I get asked this question a lot and I wish there was an easy answer such as go to tattoohistory.com. That's where you buy all the artifacts. That's where you learn all the stuff. But it's really, it's, it's not always that simple. More often than not, it comes down to you 
hear about a tattoo artist, you hear a name, and then you go to newspapers.com and you try to find where there was there ever an example where they were in a newspaper. So then you can get a time period that they were alive, maybe a city. Then you go to that city directory for that time period. Then you can see if you can find if they were in the directory. Maybe you can find a living relative, which is very difficult. Um, And then you track it down through there. Um, There's so many avenues and ways to take about tracking down tattoo artists um, and discovering these items. You know, eBay is another thing. And like, eBay is not particularly like, I, I love eBay, but it's, it's, it's hard to get stuff on eBay uh, sometimes. But yeah, I mean, there isn't one marketplace to get all these photos. And I think a lot of people that don't know it think there is because they yeah. see how many I post and they're like, it's just through connections and years of digging and research. And just it really obvious- is a hunt yeah and just a genuine passion for it like you have the the patience and the interest to go down all these avenues and spend the time and a bit like how people are interested in genealogy and spend hours and hours traipsing through records and church records and so on to find just like one name Mm. it's just that it's like I imagine it's pretty similar but yeah obviously just a passion for it and if you're so into something you can make it happen you can find it more often than not, it comes up empty-handed. I had like a two-month deep, deep history dive into a, a Texas tattoo artist named Dutch Nations. And uh, I I just had his initials. I had D, it was D Nations, and that's all I had. And I, well, I knew he was in, a, in East Texas. So I had the city, a, a year, and the initials, which is more than what most people have. And luckily, I was able to find him in a, in a, I think I was able to find like his World War draft card or whatever. And it described him as, as having tattoos. And I was like, oh, this is the guy. And then I like went through like, okay, who's his son? How many kids did his son have? And then I was able to track down a living relative and I had to, uh, I got her number through I had to pay like a online like a yellow pages I had to make like a yellow pages account and like get pay like eleven dollars to get like seven phone numbers that were listed for this lady and I had to call each one and be like hey is your great grandfather D Nations is your great grandfather <laughs> and finally um I was able to get I was I got I called the right number and she's like yeah who is this and I was like look I'm a tattoo artist. I tattoo in Dallas. I don't know if you knew this about your grandfather, but he was also a tattoo artist. Can I talk to you about that? And she was like 70 or something. Maybe she was older. And uh, we, we talked and she, her family had no idea that he did tattoos. And uh, I was able to, uh, to get photos of him. Unfortunately, they didn't have any artifacts of his. They didn't have, because that's a, a lot of the stuff you'll find. It will still be in the family. Mm. And the family either A, won't know, or they won't care. Because it's stuff they've always had, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it, they've always looked at it. And they don't, you, you tend to not realize, like, how special or rare something you have is. Yeah, if you're not interested in it, you just think, oh, it's tattoos. It's got some shit. old stuff up there. 
Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, that's my grandpa's shit. Yeah. yeah, they're like, how much money do you want to offer me for it? <laughs> and then the problem, the problem with that is once they find out how much it's worth, then they get greedy. And then they're like... Yeah, then they're suddenly interested, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then like, well, if you're offering me 10000 for it, I must be able to get 20000 for it. And it's like, not really. Not all the time. Yeah. Like, well, trying to convince somebody you're the highest bidder is difficult. Like, I'm like, no, trust me. You're really going to have a hard time finding someone who's going to offer you more money than I am. You can try, but it's probably not going to work out. <laughs> and, then, and then the problem with that is they, 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 well, I'm, you know, to put it in black and better words, is they hoard these items out because the, the <laughs> part of it is keeping it secret. And, and when you make a big discovery, you want to be the first to reveal to the world the discovery. And then they, show it to everybody and then they're wanting top money for it and it's like well everybody's already fucking seen it now i don't want <laughs> to you know like it's no longer rare it's no longer special i mean it, it is technically yes but it, it does lose a lot of its collectible value so it, it's a double-edged sword uh for for people yeah for sure what is your most prized possession when it comes to like tattoo like antique tattoo memorabilia i suppose um you know i have a couple items that me and my i have a good buddy who also collects tattoo items and we kind of consider these items like gems of our collection and i do have a couple items that i would consider gems of my collection that i wouldn't let go of to save my life and you know one of them is a business card by a, a california tattoo artist named tom berg as far as i'm aware to date, there is only two known business cards of his, mine being one of them. The other one being um, a business card of his with uh, him and another tattoo artist named Hasberg. Uh, interesting enough, both cards are split cards. So there's not, mine is Tom Berg and Professor Carroll. And then the other one is Tom Berg and uh, Hasberg. And there's not, um, there's not a standalone just Tom Berg card as of yet there might be one shoved somewhere in a book that needs to be discovered who knows but so that's one it's like it's exceptionally rare uh, how old you know, is it i think it dates from anywhere from like 1900 to 1910 ish wow you know it's so, so it's so it's a dangerous game not it not it really it isn't but apparently it is a dangerous game to put a date an exact date on something because yeah. people People get mad. They're like, oh my God, you said it was from 1905. It's actually from 1907. You don't know your history. You're the dumbest person in the world. And I like, oh my God, forgive the fuck out of me. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I try not to put exact dates on something because yeah. people were just ready to be like, how dare you say that? You know, so whatever. Yeah. But um, another gem for my collection is I have a cabinet photo of Sutherland McDonald who, you know, many people know as England's first professional tattoo artist. And he was probably, in my opinion, him and O'Reilly, I would say, shared the title for the two best tattoo artists in the world at that time. Me yeah. personally saying. And uh, I have the only known, as far as I'm aware, original photo of him. So there are photos mm -hmm. of him in newspapers and, uh, and books but those are reproduction photos that were, it's an early copy. 
but I have the original cabinet card that was printed directly from the original negative that he hand signed and it was likely in his private collection. So I have that. That's um, amazing. And then I do have some other, so my particular interest is cabinet photos, photos of tattooed people uh, yeah. from the early 1900s, late 1800s. And uh, I do have some really rare cabinet photos. So for example, uh, another gem from my collection is a cabinet photo of Samuel O'Reilly's brother, who uh, was also a tattooed man. And it's a photo of his back. Now there are only two known photos of his brother that I'm aware of. One of them is a photo of his front and he's like really handsome and stoic. And uh, there's a couple copies of that photo out there. And then there is one more photo of his back and there are no other copies of it. And I own that photo and I'm the only person I've ever seen of it. And uh, well, I mean, I've posted it, but yeah. I've never seen another copy or version of that photo anywhere else. Wow. So that is an exceptionally, exceptionally rare photo. So did Samuel O'Reilly tattoo his brother? Was it is the work by him or was it a Yeah, that's, you know, we're not 100% certain, but yeah, it's likely that O'Reilly did a lot of the work on his brother. A lot of those guys at that time period weren't just getting tattooed by one guy. They were getting covered by a lot of the heavy hitters of that time period. Uh, Stephen Lee, Hildebrandt, O'Reilly, Edwin Thomas, a bunch of these Bowery guys, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of like the American version of the English guys. When you talk about early English tattoo history, the same four names come up. McDonald, Burchett, Alfred South, Tom Riley. Those are the yeah. four big heavy hitters of English tattoo history right around late 1800s, early 1900s. Not to say that there weren't more tattoo artists in that time period. And not to say that there weren't better tattoo artists in England in that time period. Yeah, there, were, there certainly were. Um, but those four, those four got the most publicity and those were the ones people knew the most about. Same thing with America. Uh, the, the four heavy hitters in America, Hildebrandt, Lee, Edwin Thomas, O'Reilly. Yeah. That, it's so interesting. Like, I just, um, I could listen to you talk about it all day. I think you should compile it into a book and let me read it. <laughs> Well, the, well, that's the problem is this isn't, none of this is stuff I discovered. Yeah. I didn't do like these, this is all research that I've read that many, many historians have done the work for. So while I do know this knowledge, it's not, these are none of my discoveries. And I want to be very clear with that about people. Sure. Um, and I'm very skeptical of calling myself a tattoo historian because I have made discoveries, but I feel like they're very minor. And I feel like uh, I haven't quite earned the title of tattoo historian just yet. Um, I'm working on a book that is actually just now being finished up. And oh. I, haven't, I haven't publicly announced it yet, but I'm hoping with this publication, I will be able to officially call myself tattoo historian. But wow. as of right now, I'm just a tattoo history enthusiast. Sure. But what do you do with all of these these artifacts and images that you've got? Do you do you present them? Can people come and look around, or is that not where you're at? I yet? used to keep them at my tattoo shop uh, for people to look at. 
but I don't do that anymore because I tattoo on an old square and a building across the square caught fire two years ago. And I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. Mm. And oh, I kind of realization like if this stuff catches fire, it's, it's my responsibility to keep these artifacts yeah. keep them safe, safe. Yeah. when you're, when you, when you're the owner of priceless artifacts that only one or two exist, it is a responsibility to keep it safe for future generations to enjoy. And I'm just currently the temporary holder of these images. And so I, I do take it very seriously. And uh, I do want these, these photos in my collection to still be around in 500 years. But uh, with that being said, no, I'm not secretive about it at all. And I don't, I'm not one of those people who doesn't let people see my collection. I, if you ask to see my collection, I will show you every single item in my collection. There's no items that I keep secret because I, I, I strongly believe this information is out for everybody and I don't have ownership of it at all. And I think everybody should have this knowledge and it's my responsibility to help share it with people. And that's why every time I get a new image, I post it on yeah. my page. And I, I, it's just, you know, and not, I don't want to knock anybody who wants to keep their collection private. I, I understand the thought process behind that uh, concept, but it's just not one I subscribe to necessarily. I, a lot of tattooists are sort of funny, are they? In that they don't like to share their knowledge, whether it comes down to technique or equipment or historical knowledge. And I think it's so it's so nice when people are open to sharing and want to like impart their wisdom and you've got this item and you're happy to show other people, other people who have got an interest in it. I just, yeah, there's two different kinds of people, aren't there? And there's like nice ones who'll show you and ones who are too guarded, I suppose. So I think if you're lucky enough to own something, then it's so decent of you to want to show other people. Cause you know, like, the stuff I would see on your page, there's no way I would see that. You're like, you're. How else would I find it? You know, unless I did all the research that you've done. <laughs> yeah. So. No, that's I mean, it. it's so bizarre to me for someone to do a five month research and track down a family, and by the grace of God, find some artifacts and then just keep it to themselves, not even yeah. tell anybody. I mean, yeah. tell their, their, they, they tell their collector friends, of course, like, oh, look at this photo I got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am proud of my items and I do want, want to show people. I don't have the best or most positive opinion of secretive people um, and people that want to keep things, things secret. But then again, that's just me being young and you can chalk it up to just young arrogance. I guess I still do have a bit of that in me. How old are you? I'm 25. Wow. Which I guess isn't super young anymore, but I've been doing this, like I said, since I was 15. Yeah. And particularly the way I am now, I have been like this since I was like 21. So I guess my, my age, my age is starting to catch up with me, but I was <laughs> considered to be very young for what I'm doing for a long time. Well, a 25 year old with 10 years of tattooing experience sounds insane. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and next month will be my 10 year tattoo anniversary. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Happy anniversary. 
Thank you. I'm excited. Um, are you going to celebrate in any way? No, probably not. Maybe I'll, I might hang out with my buddy. Um, but I know not really. I'm a, to be honest, I was supposed to open up a tattoo shop this year. My plan, my whole time of tattooing was to open up a tattoo shop when I was hit my 10 year anniversary. And, uh, just with everything going on in my life right now, it's getting pushed back a little bit. So I'm not particularly excited about 10 years coming up so, so fast, you know, cause I, I'm not at where I, I, I had planned on being, but that's something I kind of have to deal with on my own. I think we've had like a, a crazy year. So I think we're pretty, all pretty safe to take a year off our age. <laughs> we can yeah. just write this last year off. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. There's so many external factors um, so many things have been put on hold in this this shit year. So you know, if it's yeah. meant to be, you're gonna get there. So for sure, for sure, I understand that. Um, I'm excited to ask and hear more about the stuff you use in the shop. So, like, what sort of machines do you use? And you say everything's like pre 1920. So to clarify that a little bit, um, the machines and the power supply that I use are replicas they're not actual antiques i do have actual antique tattoo machines and i have used them to make tattoos and um i do have actual antique tattoo equipment from that time period uh but what i use uh on the daily is replicas but they're extremely extremely close replicas actually everything that i've gotten that has been a replica I've made them even more closer to the originals than when I got them. So for example, I use uh, tattoo machines by a Russian tattoo machine builder. His name is Kolo Tui. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, I think, anyways, he's a, he's a Russian tattoo machine builder. I've posted them many times before, but he does really, really good, accurate machine uh, builds from the turn of the century and a little bit later. And um, right now I, I currently use a pair of Wagner Sidewinder machines. And I've seen photos of Wagner using machines similar to the Sidewinders uh, as early as 1905. Wow. So my machines, you know, roughly can be dated as replicas of tattoo machines from 1905. And I don't use clip cords. I actually uh, run the wire straight into the machine the way he did. Wow. Which was not whenever I was given the machines, they were meant to be used with clip cords, but I modified them to just go straight into the wire. Uh, so that is, I have never seen anybody else do that. It's extremely bizarre. It's extremely impractical, <laughs> but it is a part of the, the aesthetic. And then my, um, my power supply is actually a wooden switchboard that is also an exact replica of a switchboard from the 1920s and it has an original antique porcelain rheostat and um original binding post like my, my to put it simply my power supply is literally a piece of wood that has metal little knots on it that you put a wire in and then you put a wire coming out mm. and it's it's just a, it's a fucking metal it's a wooden board and when you look mm. at it it, it's, it's a far cry from the traditional critical power supply a lot of people use. 
And then I also, and I tattoo out of a travel trunk uh, that folds up and you can pack it on your back. So that is, I don't know any other tattoo artists that are tattooing off wooden switchboards with no clip cords out of a travel trunk. It is literally, if you look at my tat, like if you go into my room and you look at my tattoo setup, it down to the T, it literally looks exactly like an antique tattoo setup. I would love to see some pictures. They're on my Instagram. I'll I'll see if I can find them. But and and everything is fully functional, and it's not. um, I do every single tattoo with it. So obviously, I do my big dragons and my snakes with my setup. But I also do every little infinity sign, every little semicolon. (laughs) You're getting tattooed (laughs) with actual antique tattoo style equipment. So. Like, and, and they don't, they don't know. They don't, it doesn't dawn on them that, uh, they don't look over and they're like, I just don't notice your tattoo machine's running off wood. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Is there any so. health and safety implications? Like forgive my ignorance on the, uh... um, you know, it's pretty, my, my wooden power supply is not on. I have a tray that I, it's a metal tray, uh, right. the travel trunk, it folds down. It actually has a metal lid. Uh, I got fortunate, but I keep a glass tray on it. And uh, nah, nobody's come back with any infections so far. So <laughs> it's always a good also, day. The wood has a clear coat on it. Uh, it's been lacquered. So whatever it is, it is. But yeah, like I said, nobody's came back with infections so far. So I, I think I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> ten, 10 years is enough, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 10 years. <laughs> Excuse me. Actually, I... As of lately, I, I've been getting told that my tattoos have been healing up the quickest that uh, people get them. People are like, this has been the fastest and easiest healing tattoo I've had ever. That's interesting. And I'm like, that's great. Because my fucking tattoo machines run like chainsaws. <laughs> like, literally, I have the hardest hitting tattoo machines I've ever fucking seen. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at, like, I speak about this all the time. So we might have to cut this bit out just for fear of boring people. But my boyfriend's dad tattooed in the 70s and he's got a load of handmade machines and um, they sound like they're going to kill you. They are so noisy and there are sparks flying and they look brutal as hell. But like I'm desperate to use them. Grant has my boyfriend's got a load of tattoos on his leg. That's what he started. That's what he used when he first started tattooing. And his wow. dad's covered in tattoos that he's done with these machines and like they're fucking bright but they look brutal i've actually at the end i'll go get i've got one over there i'll go get it to show you is yeah they look really savage (laughs) like it would hurt but i'll test them out and i'll see yeah that's awesome that sounds really cool yeah yeah i mean i gotta be honest i've used every type of tattoo machine and if you're a good tattoo artist you can make anything work and, and I, I firmly stand by that. And I've used the shittiest, cheapest, you know, tattoo machine kit that costs 50 cents to make. And I've used the most expensive, most beautiful sets of fairy machines. Uh, I've used antique machines. I've used modern machines. I've used rotaries, pens. All my tattoos end up coming out the same. It just is what it is. That's definitely the mark of a good artist. Where did, um, where 
where did the name like professor why did tattooists like George Birch and stuff why do they start calling themselves professor was it just a way to make them I don't know it was just a, it, sort of gravitas? A, it was a it was a way to legitimize yourself you know back then when and I I, I would say the professor title really started right around the same time tattooing became um a profession I guess you would say um but yeah, it was just a way to legit- legitimize yourself. If there was 10 guys in your town doing tattoos and it was Sado Joe and Dirty Mike tattooing and here you are, Professor William, the expert tattoo artist, people are going to be like, I want to go to Professor William. I don't want to go to Dirty Mike. And uh, back then, showmanship was heavily a part of, you know, uh, there was a, a side of tattooing that did have showmanship. Uh, heavily involved so yeah it was just it was just like a big it was like a gimmick and it was to help convince people you were actually good at your job and a lot of these early business cards were nothing but lies (laughs) it was painless tattooing an expert tattoo artist professor so-and-so he's been tattooing for 20 years no he hasn't his name is fucking jeff he tattoos (laughs) in 1908 in ohio He's been tattooing for a month and three days. He just went to a <laughs> local fucking card shop, got some business cards, slapped 20 years on it and said, I tattoo in all colors and I can make you look like the most beautiful person in the world. And it's like, nope, he's going to fuck you up. But that's what I love about it. That's, yeah. That is tattooing back then. And one thing I know about tattoo history is don't take anything seriously. in tattoo yeah. history. Like, for example, Charlie Wagner, he has a card that says established 1890. He didn't start tattooing in 1890. No way. So, and that was fucking Wagner, you know, but you know, Wagner was known for lying, I guess would be a nice, uh, a mean way to put it. But that, <laughs> that's just how it is. Um, I think the thing that is frustrating about all this is, is when you do make genuine antique references and people don't know their history, it does become unusual. So for example, my business cards say tattooing in seven colors and it lists the colors. I don't tattoo in color. You look, you go to my page, you're not going to see any color. And people are messaging me like, why does your card say you tattoo in color? If you don't tattoo in color. I'm like, why do you give a fuck? What is it? Are you going to get tattooed by me? But it's like, no, you want to know why my card says tattoo in colors? Because my business card is an exact replica of a business card by a tattoo artist from California named Jacob Londella, and his business card says tattooing in seven colors. And I want my business card to be an exact replica of his, mm-hmm. except with my name and my face. So if his business card says he tattoos in colors, then so does mine. But I <laughs> promise you, he didn't tattoo in the colors that he says he tattooed in. <laughs> so I guess we're both lying on our business cards. <laughs> I love that. I love your business card. And I love it when you like recreate photos as well oh thank you thank you I think they they look great yeah so in terms of like in your day-to-day when you're not wearing like bright pink floor length faux fur coats do you do you dress in like a sort of vintage or antique way no it's the opposite I feel like whenever I'm at work and lately for any of my clients who might be watching this who have got tattooed by me lately uh, I haven't been wearing my getup as often as I would like to, but I call it, it's like a costume. 
I get it. It is, it's a, it is a fucking character. I totally understand. So when I'm in costume, I'm at work, I'm dressed like a Victorian era tattoo artist. And then when I'm outside of work, I'm dressed very flamboyantly, very bright, total opposite of my turn of the century antique persona. And I, I like it. I like the juxtaposition between a neon pink Adidas tracksuit on my day off. And then when I come in, I'm wearing a tie and a vest. And, and, uh, and it's just, it is what it is. Do you have a I white know. coat? Like George Birch, it's like white lab coat. I did. Uh, it didn't look great on me. George Birch <laughs> was a very George Birch was a very thin man, uh, so it looked good on him. But for me, I felt like I looked like a giant. Just fucking, it just it didn't look good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't. I don't wear the the, the white coat. I found this guy on Instagram the other day. And he's a he's like a classical painter, and he is fully. <laughs> immersed in Victorian culture and he dresses he did dress exclusively in top hats and tails and pocket watch and his house is all full of grandfather clocks and things and just lush and then the reason I sort of discovered him was that he was some this news article said um oh Victorian painter decides to uh turn up in the the modern day and he'd had his teeth done he'd had a nose job and he was like yeah I'm done with that I want to work on tv now and he just looked like every other guy and I was like oh that's a shame (laughs) I just loved his dedication to it yeah I don't I don't know if I'll ever drop this act or this character that I put on I I, so many people would love for me to they're waiting they're like waiting for it to be for them to be like ah you see it was all a show it was all a sham it was never into this. It was all fake. But for now, I keep it going. Keep the show going. Keep the show going. Yeah. But even if you did, even if you decided like, okay, I'm done with that now. Who gives a fuck? You got to do what makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, that is my philosophy on anything. Who gives a fuck? But apparently a lot of people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where do you see yourself in five years talking about changing? Hopefully with your own job. Yeah, I'll... I'll Hopefully I'll own my own shop in five years. Um, and hopefully I'll still be doing what I'm doing right now, but just better. I'm still getting better and better. And I'm still getting to that, you know, just still discovering how far I can take my style and, and what all I can do with it. And hopefully I'm just going to be exactly what I am now, but times 10. And then in 10 years, times 10 of that. So we'll see what happens <laughs> I have really enjoyed our chat I'm so interested and I'm going to pester you for photos of your entire collection I want it documented <laughs> I want you to yeah. send them all <laughs> and um yeah it's so interesting to me so thank you so much for all the work you do to collaborate all this info and I really enjoy it and will continue to stalk your Instagram okay awesome well thank you so much yeah thanks for coming on that was <laughs> so interesting thanks again yeah thank, thank you. you so much lovely to chat to you thank you okay see you. The best with everything. We'll, we'll see you soon yes see you